All right, well, you may be seated. Uh, wanted to welcome everybody this morning to uh, Hope Midtown, and uh, it's so, uh, so thankful that we're here together. And if you're here for the first time, uh, I just wanted to welcome you to this community. We're so excited that you're here. Uh, my name is Hal, and my wife, Carol, and our family have had the privilege to be able to attend here for almost a year. It's, it's hard to believe, and it's just been such a blessing. Uh, before we dive in, I just wanted again to, if you go to the next slide, to wish fathers uh, father, happy Father's Day, to remember and honor our fathers uh, as the brother Sol- Pastor Solomon is, as I am a father. Um, I think as fathers, we realize how imperfect we are. That even though we try to, as the great theologian philosopher Steve Martin uh, would say, uh, you know, um, financially support our families, uh, try to support in so many different ways, we often fall short. But we give thanks that we have the model of the perfect father um, to strive towards. And so before we kick off, let me just open us up in a word of prayer uh, to honor our fathers. Father, we give you thanks this morning uh, we give you thanks that we're here to, to worship and to, to meet you and to meet your people. Uh, we give you thanks for fathers. We remember them today, our Father. Um, whether they're with us, no longer with us, we want to um, honor them, thank them um, in the ways that they've fallen short. Um, Father, we show grace just as we've been shown grace. Um, thank you for being our perfect Father. Uh, and we pray and we lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been studying the book of Nehemiah. And this week, um, when, spe- when I was speaking with Pastor Drew, he was like, okay, let's take a break. And uh, we'll continue with Nehemiah next week. And, he w- and so I was like, okay, what should I speak about? He's like, I'll speak about anything you want. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't so much like that. But... But what I, uh, what I uh, kind of in discussing with him, what I want to speak today on and what I want to share on is this psalm, Psalm 73, uh, which has been weighing on my heart, which has been something that um, I've struggled with and learned from that has, has changed my life. And I hope that as we dig into this word today, uh, that it might have the same effect for you, that it may be as helpful to you as it has been to me. Now, I've entitled this sermon today, you know, a very strange title, Search for Significance and Six Verbs and the BQE. So let me dive into, into this. And um, before we start then, let me ask, who knows what the BQE is? Do you know what the BQE is? So raise your hands. This will let me know Who's like a local <laughs> and who's like, uh, all right, so a bunch of folks know what the BQE is. All right, let's go to the next slide. So the BQE is, is called the Brooklyn Queens Expressway, all right? So not everybody drives. Actually, I, we haven't owned a car in 10 years, and we're so grateful for that. Um, and, but when we do drive, very rarely, uh, sometimes we have to take the BQE. So uh, folks may not know, uh, but I'm from uh, Staten Island. I don't know if there are any Staten Island. I know there's some Staten Islanders in the house. Yeah, more power. Staten Island. Uh, my mom still lives there, and, uh, and uh, so we often go and see her, and so most of the time we'll take the ferry, right? It's the free ferry. You've got to go take that and take a look. It's beautiful, uh, but sometimes we'll drive, and when you got to go between Staten Island and Manhattan, you have to take the BQE. 
Now, the BQE is famous, or maybe I should say it's infamous, for being the most congested roadway in the U.S. So it has the worst traffic that you could have ever imagined. It doesn't matter what time you go. It doesn't matter you go early, late. Like, you will get stuck, like, going through the Gowanus. Has everybody heard the Gowanus Canal, that overpass that, you know, goes down into the, I think it's called the Carroll Gardens Trench, over to the Brooklyn promenade and then eventually onto the Brooklyn Bridge. And that, you know, you will get stuck there, you know, call it 20 minutes, 30 minutes, one hour, depending on the time of day and traffic. And so for me, the approach that I've taken, and I'm very proud of this, and I'll share this secret with you, but I don't want too many people to know because then it won't work anymore, is that I've, you know, I've planned out exactly which lane you have to be in as you approach to maximize your speed. Okay, so as you're coming down where the Gowanus overpasses, you've got to be in the third lane. Then you've got to go over. That, but that moment, you've got to cut all the way to the left because there's an entrance on this side. As you go down into the trench, you've got to cut all the way to the right because that lane has an exit. So everybody's moving faster, right? Now, you don't want to make any illegal. We're all good Christians. I'm a good, you know, good Christian. I don't want to be making any illegal cuts across double lines. So just as that line starts to kind of, you know, get, get shorter, meaning that that lane's going to end, you've got to cut over all the way to the left again, right? When you cut all the way over to the left, then you get to the triple cantilevered, you know, Brooklyn Heights promenade. I don't know if you know what you're talking about. On that point, you want to move over to the right. And then once you get to the right, you're free and clear because you hit the Brooklyn Bridge. There's usually no traffic getting on, and then you get on. And so I do all of that, and I end up saving three minutes, all right? Because I've timed it. I've timed it because I've, I've timed it against my Apple Maps, right? Apple Maps says it's going to take 35 minutes, and I take 32. And I want to let you know how good that makes me feel, right? When, I, when, I'm, when I'm in that lane going down and I look at my neighbor in the other lane, all I can think of is, Sucker, <laughs> you know, like, look at me, I'm going faster. And, and, and when I'm in the wrong lane and somebody's going past me, I psychologically feel bad. Like, I just, like, they're passing me. Like, what's going on here, right? Now, what, what strikes me is that I could be in traffic and you could be sitting there for an hour or half an hour just trying to get through this, like, two-mile stretch or one, you know, however long it is. And yet, if I'm moving faster than that person next to me, I feel okay, right? I don't know how many, I don't know if it's just my bad psychological state. I don't know if anybody can identify with that. But if I'm moving faster than the guy next to me, like, I could be stuck there forever, but I'm happy. Like, I feel like somehow I'm doing something right. I'm better. Like, I'm better than that person next to me. Now, I, I say this, you know, not to, not to give away the secrets of the BQE, okay? I don't want to, like, don't tell too many people because then it'll really, it won't work anymore. But it's a reflection. As I reflected on that, I reflect on my own life in terms of, you know, you know, I'm, you know, the Bible tells us, like, we're running. Run your race, right? You, you're, God gives us a race to run, and yet so often... I run that race by looking at the lanes next to me to get a sense of, like, how am I doing? 
right? And I guess if you're in a race, like my son is on track, and, you know, you kind of got to know how people are doing next to you to understand if you're going to win or not. So that's useful. But the question is, is that the way that we should be living life? Because when I think about it, the reason I do that, you know, like what school I went to, what college I went to, uh, what job I get, what's my title, you know, how are my kids doing kind of thing. You know, I look, I find that I often look left and right to understand, like, am I doing well? Like, am I, you know, and it gets, at the end of the day, if you go to the next slide, it gets, it, it gets the reason, I think, is because I, I want to be significant. Like, I want to know that I matter. And somehow, like, I'm doing something that's worthwhile and I'm doing it well. And oftentimes the way in my life that I've determined that is that I look left and I look in the left lane and I look in the right lane. And look, I'm ahead of this person, you know, whether it's money, whether it's my school, whether it's my job, my title, and I, and I feel good and that gives me significance. And I don't know if that's true for any of us here today. I, I would surmise that it probably is. That's our society. You know, I was just talking to one of the brothers, and they're going through, you know, he's the big boss, and he was been doing uh, annual reviews, and the whole thing is like, you know, what have you done? What have you done? Um, what have you achieved to demonstrate your significance for this company? And that's really comparison to somebody else. That's kind of our society, and that's kind of life. And so today what I want to do is bring us through Psalms 73 because Psalm 73, I think, addresses this issue. Uh, the psalmist goes through similar kinds of feelings and yet we can see that his life was both in the depths and then completely transformed. Psalm 73 is a set of psalms. There's 12 of them uh, called the Psalms of Asaph. And you may ask, like, who is Asaf? I think they're not exactly clear. Um, but um, he was thought to be a Levite, kind of a, a worship leader. He sang, he led the singing in the temple. And so he was kind of a formal, official, religious person uh, in the temple who led worship. And I love this chapter of the Psalms because it tells us such a remarkable story. And, and just from the first two verses, what you'll see is that it says here, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But then he sets this up. It's like this introduction. Like you really want to know what happened, what changed, what was different. He says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. It's like he's bringing us in. Like something happened that was dramatic in this person's life. And he's saying that I nearly lost. I didn't lose. So he somehow came back. And the whole point of this psalm that has spoken to me a lot is like what happened in this person's life and how did it change? And so that's what we're going to look at today. This idea of significance in the life of Asaf through, through Psalm 73. Now, if we go to the next slide, I want to kind of, this is where this... Six verbs, okay, come in. All right, so six verbs on the BQE. Six verbs on Asaf's search for meaning and acceptance and significance. And I wasn't sure exactly how to break it up, so I kind of broke it up as what was the problem and what was the solution? What, what brought him back? 
And I've listed the six verbs here, and we'll, let's go, we'll go through them. But the idea that he saw, he became envious, he became embittered. And yet God did something in his life. When he entered, he understood, and then he desired God. Okay? So that's kind of the framework that I want to put us into. Okay, so let's go ahead and go to the next slide. So the, uh, verse 3 tells us that... Um, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The first thing he says is he looks around, around him, and he says, look, everybody's wicked, right? And I think there's some truth to that. There was this issue of, like, social justice, right? So there was, there was, there was things going on in society that were wrong. But what he just saw was, like, this prosperity. Like, these people, like, they're no good. They're not better than me. And yet they're so prosperous, right, through his eyes. Now, we know that the Bible talks so much about the eyes, right? If you go to the next, um, next slide, what, is, what, is the, what do the Beatitudes tell us? What do the Beatitudes tell us, right? It tells us the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But what's the ne- next verse? What's the very next verse? It tells us, but if your uh, next slide, please, if your eyes are unhealthy, Right? If what you're seeing is unhealthy, your whole body is full of darkness, and if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Right? The Bible is stressing to us like what we look at and what we see and how we interpret that is so central to what happens to us as in our being. Right? And that's been borne out. If you go to the next slide, you know, in the last few years, you know, in the last 10 years, we know that social media has become such a major part of everything and part of life, right? And I'm not here today to, you know, to like, there's not a, a sermon to rail on social media, although I think there are lots of issues with social media. But one of the things with social media, and there have been studies looking at this, right, is that when, and especially it says here, if you read it, sorry, it's in little type, it says young girls are susceptible to social media. And I would say young girls, young boys, you know, old girls, old boys like myself, are susceptible to social media, and a lot of it relates to comparison. They see the highlights and perfectly curated images or comments, and they have lower self-esteem. And I would just say, I think, how true is that, right? Like, when I go on, you know, I've got, I tell you, I've gotten rid of Facebook, and I've gotten rid of Instagram. I, maybe I'm an old fogey. Um, but, but I've, I, because when you go on, what you see is those perfectly curated images, Right? Uh, you know, I know when, when I'm going to be, like, someone takes a picture, and I know they're going to post it. You know, it's like, hold on, hold on, wait. You've got to, like, get the camera angle this way, right? So you're kind of coming down, and you don't want to be in the side of the picture, because when you're in the side of the picture, like, your face gets, like, like double wide, and, like, all these things, right? Because you know it's going to, like, you want to put your best self out, right? You, it's like, you know, the world's going to see this. How can I look my best? And so then what you see is, like, the next slide you know, what, what, what Asaf is interpreting when he's looking around in the social media of his day, right, is that I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of wicked. But what did he see, right? He saw that they had no struggles. Their bodies were healthy and strong. They were free from burdens. They were not plagued. They were always free of care. They're going amassing wealth. Like, that's what he saw. But we know that that's not the case. I mean, this is like, an exaggeration. It's like, it's like what we see on social media. It's like the perfection out there. 
And yet when we begin to kind of compare, that's kind of what we pull out. And so what I'm saying, what I'm saying here is that he, he was seeing, we know how important the eyes are, but so often we are seeing inaccurately. Like we think that everybody, like that guy's going to like so strong, so muscular, looks great in the sun, lying on the beach, and he has no problems. And how could that be? Like, you know, um, and so the first thing here, you know, as we think about this idea of comparison and looking at the lanes left and right is that we look and we look and we see things inaccurately. I think there was a term that I, you know, again, I'm an old fogey here. And I would say like this, I, I learned this term, you know, we were, we've been abroad for the last few years. And coming back, I've learned so many new terms. Like this term of like FOMO, right? Does everybody know what FOMO stands for? Right? It's like, I think it's fear of missing out, right? It's like, oh, there's always something exciting going on somewhere else. And yet I'm not part of that. And, and how do I get in there? Right? And I think we are seeing like inaccurately. So once you start to see inaccurately, what happens? So then Asaf takes us on to the next journey of this next verb, right? Is what he sees is that he, he sees, he looks around, everybody's doing so well. And then within his heart, what comes up? is this idea of envy, right? Like jealousy, right? And what a corrosive, hard emotion feeling that is, right? So, because um, we know, like, God talks about envy and God talks about jealousy. If we go to the next slide, like, in, it makes the top 10, right? If you're looking at the 10 commandments and the top 10 kind of, Sins that God says, hey, you must be very careful. Like, you shall not covet, right? You shall not covet your neighbor's house and covet your neighbor's wife and your donkeys and anything belonging to your neighbor. You know, it makes me think, like, you know, as I mentioned, we recently moved back to New York. um, And we had to figure out where to send our kids and uh, to school. And I have two older boys and a younger girl. And I, I'm like, I'm a public, I'm, I'm a strong advocate for public school. Like, I went to public school in New York growing up. Like, let's do public school. But I think because they were coming in, we couldn't figure, we didn't know, really know the public school system. We decided to put them in private school. And what I realized is like, wow, like private school here, crazy expensive. Like, we're, we're not like, private school people. Like, my son talks to, like, his friends. Like, one of his friends, you know, owns, like, his father owns a major, like, sports team. Like, like you think basketball, like, that kind of thing. That's what he owns. Another, so another father is, uh, it, it, like, is the best, if you know, I won't say who it is, but is, like, the best NFL player ever, right? Like, that's his father. And I'm like, oh, well, I wish I could be that like that, you know, like, uh, you know, and, and you start to feel like envious, like, geez, like, what, what, that should be me. Like, like, I'm, you know, I'm your dad kind of thing. Right. And and it just starts to like, kind of like that jealousy, that enviousness starts to weigh on your heart. Right. Um, if you go to the next slide, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Drew talked about. Money, sex, power, right? Kind of like these false idols, if you remember. And I would just say for me, like, I've been struggling with this idea of, like, more money. Like, I think money, if I had more money, like, I, like all my problems would be solved, 
right? And I love what Pastor Bisgrove, um, you know, from Redeemer Presbyterian up on the west side, he, he preached this once, which I thought was, like, stuck with me, which was this idea of, like, money, like, it becomes the, like, the trinity, like, the false trinity in our lives, right? Because we think that if we had more money, it could create an environment we desire, it could save us from our troubles, it could comfort us when we are in need, Right? And so we begin to kind of be envious. Like, that's what we want. That's our solution. We want more of that, of this. And for me, in my mind, you know, recently has been putting our kids through college and paying these tuitions. It's like, I just need more money. And I don't know what it might be for you. Maybe it's something different. But the sense of envy that starts to build when we start to look at the world around us. Why are they doing so much better? Why do they not have any problems? And so you can see, you see, you start to feel envious, and then ultimately what happens, if you go to the next slide, is you begin, what we see that happened to Asaf is that he became embittered, embittered, right? I saw my heart was grieved, my spirit was embittered, I was senseless and ignorant, and I was a brute beast before you. If you go to the next slide, what does that word embittered mean. Actually, if you look at the root meaning, it's this idea of like vex, sharpen. What I really liked was this idea of like pricking and piercing you. I try to put there a picture of like if you get like a little, not paper cut or like a little wood splinter and you know, it's like something that's just there. It's just, it kind of digs in there. And if you don't take care of it, you know, what happens? It starts to fester. It starts to grow. It starts to become infected right? All these kinds of things. And it becomes such this like underlying thing that becomes so, can become so dangerous, like a, like a, like a, like a skin infection, if not treated correctly, can kill you, right? If you don't take care of it. And we can see that this is the effect of the embitterment that Asaf started feeling. We can see in his life, in the, what he writes, that it had taken over, it had infected his life, that it was festering and, and really, um, really just hurting him. Like, if you go to the next slide, he says here, Psalm 73, all day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. Like, think about that. Like, this thing, by looking around at all the people around him and seeing, like, how well they were doing, it, it like, hurt his heart so much that even when he was to get up in the morning, it was like punishment, It was like hardship. He was afflicted. Every morning brings new punishment. Contrast this, if you go to the next slide, with a well-known verse that we sing about, right? This is from Lamentations 3, which says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This verse is from Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is about when the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. It was one of the biggest periods of suffering that, that the Jewish people ever had. And yet this person, Lamentations, the writer of Lamentations, who many suspect was the prophet Jeremiah, was able to wake up in the morning and even in these terrible circumstances, give praise to God. Great is your faithfulness. I'm up today, and we have, like, our city is destroyed, and we are in ruin, but great is your faithfulness. Let me give you thanks. Contrast this with Asaf, who actually was a a Levite during the people's surmise during the time, somewhere between David and Solomon, relative wealth. Everything was going well. Solomon in all the splendor of the temple, 
And yet this, this thing of this of comparison, of, of, you know, of looking left and looking right and looking at all the people got to the point where it was, it was painful for him. It was a punishment for him to wake up in the morning. And I, I, you know, when I reflect on my own life, you know, you know we had the privilege to go and, uh, and serve abroad for almost a decade. Right as tent makers, and it was one of the most amazing experiences, blessed experiences. You know, our family hopes to go out someday again and, and serve if we have the opportunity to do that. We were so so blessed in so many different ways, and yet sometimes in my dark hours, you know, I will remember like like when before we left, I was part of this working group, and um, when we left, this working group started in building and doing and. And financially, the group that I, uh, folks that I was working with uh, did, like, grew and did amazingly, amazing well. Like, financially, amazingly well. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's exciting for them. But sometimes in the back of my heart, I will be like, God, you know, we went and we went to serve you. You know, why, why did we go? Like, it, like look at these folks. They, they've done so well. If we had only stayed and if we had only kind of continued in kind of the things that I was doing, I would be in that, like, false, like, like I would be, like, not worrying about money at all. Like, that false trinity, that would be me. I'd be secure, right? I'd, I'd be comforted. Like, I, I want that. Like, look at all we did for you, God, through, through our tent making, and, and why do we not have that? And I think that feeling, if you go to the next, next verse, next, uh, is, is what Asaf is feeling. In Psalm 73, he says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. It's like, look at all that I've done for you, God. Like, why, why are you not rewarding me, my due, what's due me, because of the way that I've served you? And I don't know if you, some of us may have felt that sometimes, like, God, I've done all these things. I've done what you've asked me to, and yet I've not been blessed in the way that I expect to be blessed. Again, I want to say, like, when we went for, you know, went abroad, it was the most amazing, amazing blessing. Like, we learned so much. I would never trade it for anything. Like, um, we met our daughter, who is, you know, maybe folks may have known is, is adopted, and she was adopted. We, it's, she's such a joy and blessing and her life would not have changed. And yet sometimes in that dark hour, you question like, oh, did I make the right decision? I should have done that. God, it's not fair. And I love what Theodore Roosevelt um, said, is that when we do that, just one takeaway, one thing I've learned, I think one thing Asaf has learned, is learning or has learned, is that when we do that, when we compare in that way, right? He says, comparison is the thief of joy. That joy that we might have had, that we might have been able to hold on to, is, is taken away. We, we lose it. And so that's our loss. Okay, so I'm going to stop here for a second in terms of, okay, now we've been to this point. Asaf is in the depths. He's suffering. He doesn't want to wake up in the morning. He feels afflicted. Every morning he gets up, it's a punishment, right? Because he's looking around and seeing everybody else succeed. And he feels like, why, God, have you forsaken me after all I've done for you? What happens to remarkably change his life and his, his, his viewpoint? In, in a few short verses, 
his life is completely changed. What happened? Let's dig into that. Okay. So let's go to the next slide. The first thing that he talks about in verse, is in verse 17 is he talks about entering, right? So it says, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary. Now, what does this mean? Because as I mentioned before, Asaf was a Levite. Levites entered the sanctuary every day as part of their work. That was like, you know, that's like their job. So something is different here than what happened before. What was it? I think a few things first. The first thing, if you look at the word enter, the word enter means you come in, but it also means that you come in bringing an offering. The central idea here being that you're submitting yourself. Where, where, you come, where Asaf was coming before saying, look at all the things that I have done with my hands. What I deserve, he is now coming in submission, right, to, to somebody who is greater than him in his heart. The second thing is that he's coming into the sanctuary. Now, you, we've all come into the sanctuary today. This is a sanctuary. Um, I don't know where each of us are in terms of our thinking, but we've come into the sanctuary. But what's different here, I believe, is that this was not just him showing up at work, right, entering the sanctuary. This is him coming in submission, bringing a sacrifice, and somehow that day, that period, God meeting him, him meeting the true God in, in, in the presence of God. That's really what sanctuary means, is that we, we, we encounter the living God. And why that happened that day, you know, I don't know. It was in God's plan that, that he would meet God, he would experience God in the full in that day. And because that happened, it completely changed his life. What happened? We see, if you go to the next slide, he says that I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood. In those few words, his life was changed. Like, what happened? Like, I'm, when I was reading this chapter, I'm so curious because I want to know. It's like the secret of life here. Like, in two verses, his life was changed. He understood. What did he understand? I would say that he understood a few things, and we can understand a few things based on where we're standing today. The first thing he understood, if you go to the next slide, is that everything that he was going after, whether it was wealth, whether it was the prosperity, the good health, the, you know, all those things, societal position, he suddenly understood, first of all, the final destiny of this. That in a flash, everything that folks might build their life on that seems so secure, the money that could create that environment so that I have safety, in a flash would be gone. Right? What he's saying here is that you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin, they are destroyed, they are like a dream. It's all like a dream. Like what he was going to put his life on that was so important, he suddenly saw that it was just something transient and would just be gone. Just like that. Right, God in these people, and we see that later on, God, God um, brings punishment to those that need pun, the wicked, and instantly, like, things are gone. So he begins to realize, first of all, the transient nature of what he thought was so important. But more than that, I think as we read this today, we understand something more profound. I think Asaf, you know, saw, lived in a time when he saw Partly, he understood partly. 
But because of what Jesus Christ did for us 2,000 years ago to die on the cross for our sins so that we might have life and we might have freedom, that he lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. That suddenly we are completely changed. When we read this passage today and we understand what Jesus did for us through, the, through his death and resurrection, we are profoundly, profoundly changed. If you go to the next slide, I just want to put up a Tim Keller quote. And I know, you know, for me personally, I just still can't believe that he, you know, he has passed because he has such an impact on my life and I know so many people. But what, what Tim Keller wrote so eloquently is that the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. When we're searching for that significance, what the cross tells us is that we have innate significance, that we are innately accepted, that we are loved, right? that our significance is not found in looking left and looking right. If you forget everything we talked about today, here's the key takeaway. I want to, I want, I want to, um, like this, this, uh, this affected me deeply and has helped me deeply. And I hope that it helps you deeply as well, right? In life, in society, in New York, we're all in New York, right? We're all here to, you know, if we can make it here, we can make it anywhere, right? It's up to us to go out and, you know, conquer the world. The world tells us. Our families tell us sometimes. Our, um, you know, our, 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 our schools tell us that if you achieve, right, and, and if you're doing better, if you're looking, you've done something extraordinary, you have significance, right? You have significance. But what does the gospel tell us? The gospel, as Tim Keller always says, changes everything. Because it flips that around. And, this, and, and that order, if you go to the next, is, is everything. Is everything about life. The gospel is this. Is that Jesus died for us, took away our sins, that we have innate significance. It doesn't matter how big or small of a sinner you are, how much you've accomplished or how little you've accomplished when we follow him, we have innate, God loves us. We have innate significance through Jesus. And because of that, we want to go out and achieve in his name. That ordering is everything. Because if you live and I live in that bottom world, every day we're going to be going out there trying to prove ourselves. And when we can prove ourselves, Right? Uh, it goes, it, when we do something, it proves ourselves, it, it goes to our head. And when we fail and we can't prove ourselves, it goes to our heart. Like we're not worth anything. And every day, it can become a slog, especially when we see other people, as Asaf did, doing all these things, right? What happens is that he sees that um, them doing all these things, he realizes like he, he's not significant. He's not, it's not, it's, it, he doesn't have value. But the gospel changes everything because it tells us that we are innately significant and that when we go out, we do it in jo with joy, 
because of what Jesus did for us. God gave us talents. God gave us resources, right? We can use them for his kingdom out of thanksgiving, not out of this idea of trying to prove our self-worth. And so keep that in mind. Like this, this, this schema, I guess, has like really changed me. And I, I got to confess, I'm still learning. Like so many times, I still am looking forward, looking sideways, you know, to see how folks are doing, to, to assess what my value is. And what the gospel and what this passage has taught me is that it's not to look left or right, but it's to look upwards and to be reminded of God's love and value for us. Because once we understand that, what happens? And I'm going to close here. I know I'm over a few minutes. What, what happens? If you go to the next slide, what, it changes everything. It changes Asaf, right? What happens there is, look at these last verses from where he was, suffering, punishment, getting, every, getting up every morning to this. Whom have I have in heaven but you? On earth I desire nothing besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength and portion of my heart, my portion forever. Life completely changed, completely turned around because he saw that his significance was in Christ and, what, and what was, what, how much God loved him. And in, in our day and age, we understand how much Christ's death has changed our perspective on life. So I just want to end here. Um, I don't know where each of us are, and I asked the worship team to come up. Um, maybe you are in this struggle, right? We're in New York, right? As I said, we are all striving. We're all here to show, you know, what we're made of and compete against the best and to really make it here, then, you know, we can make it anywhere. And I, I would say that's not a bad thing, right? God gives you and God gives me, like, talents and resources, to be able to, to accomplish great things. But hopefully it's a reminder for us today that our significance is not in the things of the world, right? Our significance is based on the love, the sacrifice, the care of Christ. That innate significance that frees us so that we can go out and we can conquer the world in his name. With Let's pray. Father God, we just want to give you thanks, Lord. We give you thanks for this Father's Day. Um, we give you thanks for the story of Asaf, Lord, and how you moved in his life. This story of transformation, of awakening from looking around at the world that he lived in and seeing other people doing so well. And then when he experienced you in a flash, he realized that, that those things were not worth, worthwhile to base his significance on, that his significance was only based on what you have done for him and your love for him. And then he could be freed. God, give us that freedom today. Help us to experience that. Help us to know we are loved before anything. That we have innate value. And because of that confidence, we can go out and we can shine your lights. Use what you've given us to make the world a better place. Father, we give you thanks 
We pray that you change us and help us this, this morning. In Jesus' name.